Hey, Mike. Hey, Colin. Welcome to our show. We're starting it? Yep. Okay. I'm back. Where are you back from? I was in Italy. And and Switzerland. Nice. Uh, Hey, you did your your trip. You hiked around. Yep. Everyone everyone read your blog. I got a a Swiss franc in my... uh, bin of money that i will never remember to bring back to europe yeah no it's not for bringing back no no you're doing your part but if someone ever needs a whole bunch of five euro cent coins are they called euro cents do they have a name for us i thought they were called euro cents maybe they might be they might just be called cents but but that would be confusing because they're not real cents um not anymore at least Woo! (laughs) poor europe uh so what's new um how are you good so you're back we're gonna we're gonna ship some software soon yeah we probably should i hear apple's gonna ship some software real soon as well yeah we should put that on our list let's talk about that oh okay i'm gonna type it right here mountain lion okay it's in our doc that's good no one could tell you were typing either okay so yeah so i guess start with that sure apple has announced they're going to be shipping well i guess they haven't announced anything have they no but they announced that they would be shipping mountain lion in july and they've told all of their uh employees that they need to work on wednesday of next week the 25th i think they have yeah i don't know i mean according to the internet doesn't don't apple employees have to work on regular Wednesdays? Well, but, like, you can't take a vacation day. But, wait, so that's the day it ships, or that's the day after it ships, or that's the day before it ships? I don't know. Like, what are they possibly doing that day? They're, you know, selling nothing. <laughs> we need you here in case, in case we need you to push bits out of the server. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyways, but, uh, Regardless, there is a very good likelihood that Mountain Lion will ship next week because they're running out of July, and um, they said it would ship in July. And they, they seeded, I mean, the public information, they seeded the Goldmaster release um, earlier this this month. So, um, yeah. So what, what, what's new that people, that is known I guess they went over that at WWDC, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything really at this point that's under NDA that people don't. Yeah, that that. Yeah. Okay, but so why are we why are we shipping new software? We're. Uh, well, we're shipping software because Mountain Lion, by default, will have a feature called Gatekeeper enabled, um, which is sort of an in between between the world of sandboxing on the app store and the free-for-all world that uh, we've been used to for the last 30 years on computers. Um, and what Gatekeeper does is for any application, whether you get it from the web or, or anywhere else, um, and if you try to run it, it has to be signed by the developer using a certificate from Apple. Um, and if you try and run an app that's not signed, OS X is going to pop up a warning and say, hey, you can't do that. Um, and you can override it and you can disable this feature and everything else, but it will be the default. And so there is an incentive for us to ship binaries that are signed with this feature. And what this allows is that uh, 
if a malicious app were to get out in the wild, uh, something like a Trojan horse or um, something like that, um, one, they would the, the Trojan developer would have to sign it, and two, if they did sign it and put it out in the world, uh, Apple could actually revoke that certificate, and they have a feature in online to be able to push those revocations out so that they could keep people who have Gatekeeper enabled from being able to damage themselves. So that Yeah, so the next time they launched, it would say this app is not authorized to run. Right. So these are the sort of things we probably should have discussed or maybe have discussed privately in the past, but how is this affect so how does this affect our users? Well, obviously if you if you download the application the day after Mountain Lion ships, you will get this notification saying you can't run the app until you change your system preferences. If we hadn't pushed an update that enables that that's signed. Will it do that for apps that are already installed and run? Is this something like the quarantine feature that they have now where the first time you launch an app that you download it from the internet, it says, you know, this is your first time running this. You got this from a web page. Do you wanna do you wanna run it? Um, you know, it's not clear to me because I haven't actually upgraded a system from, from Lion to Mountain Lion yet. I've only done clean installs. And of course, all of the things that Apple gets are, are, are you know, ships with are signed. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the behavior is going to be for existing apps. Um, well, you know, I guess we'll have to see. Right. Because they're, I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting from the support standpoint, because if that, if it doesn't, if it's just the first time you run the app on Mountain Lion that this occurs, no matter what, no matter how many times you've run it before, then it's sort of a race against the clock. So we push an update soon. I don't think we're going to, you know, trust us, it's coming. Um, we push an update. And then what about the people who don't launch ClipRap in the next week or don't launch Scopebox in the next week or two weeks? Well, I guess what I'd say is that the Venn diagram of those people plus the people who also upgrade to Mountain Lion immediately on their production system for their you know, media production job is hopefully very small because I would hope that none of the people actually you know, using their computers to make money are going to go out and blow away their OS in the first three days of a new OS coming out. Come on. That's what you do. It's download day. Yeah. I mean download day. And then and then you go and you post nasty comments because Photoshop doesn't run anymore. Right. Yeah. It's probably worth mentioning here. Like uh if you're in the middle of a project or if this is your only production system, don't, don't update. upgrade. And make a backup before you upgrade because although, you know, my uh, Apple does a pretty good job these days. Um, there have been, you know, OS 10 releases in the past that had little bugs that did things like completely destroyed your hard drive. This is, you know, app. one of the great things about the App Store is that it's really easy to upgrade your OS, but you're still, you know, changing the wings on an airplane mid-flight and uh, things can go wrong, whether it's Apple's fault or, you know, you've got hexes installed or whatever else. Um, you know, don't take it too lightly, even though it is just a click install in the app store sort of thing. Right. Especially if you're doing something crazy and esoteric, like putting a space in the name of your root drive. <laughs> right. 
I think that was the bug, right? Yeah. Everyone who had a space in their drive when they installed like iTunes or something, it blasted everything away. Yeah, it they wasn't had, even an OS. No, they had that one. There was also one when Tiger first shipped that any um, FireWire discs attached got destroyed. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah. Well, that would have been right about the time I had metric dozens of oh God, yeah, FireWire drives attached. Remember that? Just stacks of daisy-chained FireWire drives. Those were the days. Can we go back to that? Uh, yeah, it's called Thunderbolt. Mm, OWC. Gets a little more expensive, though. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when you used to like worry about which FireWire chipset your drive had. You wanted the Oxford 911. And... I remember having to make a document to give to all of the editors that explained to them the order of operations in order to get all your FireWire drives to mount <laughs> without like half of them mounting. So you had to unplug the cable, start the machine, power up the drives, wait till they all spin up, and then plug the cable in. Right, yeah. It was uh, pretty messy. It was also pretty amazing. Yeah, I had a good one once. Well, I had one where um, there, were, there was a FireWire chipset that like uh, every unit they shipped had the same serial number or something, and so if you had oh, more, than, no. more than one of the enclosures, it was just a toss-up which one of those mounted. Oh, man. So computers. Anyways, Mountain Lion's coming soon um, for end users. Actually, you know, it's a nice upgrade, um, but we're at that point with, you know, Mac OS where, like, don't expect it to sort of blow your mind with new features. It's, uh, you know, it's a nice upgrade. I mean, there's, there's very little changed in the OS itself that you're going to see, but you will see, I mean, the apps change around the edges. It's kind of like new iOS releases now where mostly it's the suite of apps that Apple includes that change between versions and so messages is coming to replace iChat and you get the notes app and you get the reminders app and you get the all those little things right Safari gets a pretty good upgrade um, and yeah a variety of other things that you know may or may not improve your life but um, for developers there's a lot of you know, great stuff. The people who um, like Tweetbot, who get the ability to um, target only Mountain Lion, are able to use a lot of cool new APIs and do a lot of uh, exciting things. Yeah, I mean, Notification Center will be interesting to see how that shakes out on desktops. Um, you know, I was not a person who ever liked Growl, but apparently that's a system-wide thing now. Yeah, yeah, and they've implemented it in a nice enough way. Yeah, at least you can turn it off. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, yeah, it's going to be, it's it's a worthwhile update, especially since it's, what, 19 bucks or something? I think it's, isn't it, is it 19 or is it 9? I don't know. I it's, thought it was 19.99. I think you're right, yeah, because it used to be 29. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be worth doing. I would just say, you know, don't rush out and do it right away if you're, at all reliant on your system. If you've got, you know, a laptop that you use mostly for email or something that's not your main production system, that's fine. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't need to be one of these people who waits till the point one release or something. I'm just saying, like, wait a couple of days and make sure it doesn't destroy things. Well, not even that. Just wait until a day when you don't need to use your computer 20 minutes later. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we occasionally get emails from people who upgrade their OS or upgrade their version of one of our apps or whatever, you know, half an hour before they need to be on set using it. And that's. Or do um, they do it on set? They like right. open, they haven't used the app for two months. They show up on set and they have Wi Fi and it says there's a new version of Scopebox. And they go, great. And they download it. <laughs> right. Don't do that. Yeah. With any application. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, and conversely, I would say. There are these people who, once they find their magic, that you know the, the magic configuration that works, never touch it again, and and that has some downsides as well. And so we do sometimes get people who are still on one of these sort of like in between OS releases. Like I think ten six five is one that a lot of people have decided is sort of that was some magic release, but you know it has some issues that weren't fixed until which is why 10.6.6 came out right 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 and and you know 10.6.8 was the last release and that's sort of the only one that you can reasonably be on and have compatibility with modern apps and things but there you know it's the same with quicktime you know i'm running quicktime 7.6.3 and that's the one that works in combination with this final cut release and whatever else and I mean, that, that's fine in the middle of a project, but you also need to have the discipline at the end of a project or at some point if you're one of these people who constantly has six projects in flight uh, where you, you know, figure out what the new stable config is um, because, you know. Otherwise you get left behind. Right. And it just and becomes more and more painful. you get a machine that won't run them. Right. But, you know, the longer you wait, the more painful it becomes to try and make that jump. So, anyway. Mountain Lion, next week. Yeah, new clip wrap, new scope box. Yeah. Coming. Hopefully. Um, ah. They're they're both in the oven. Yeah. Um so what else is new? Do you want to do cameras or you want to do avid? Uh let's do avid. Okay. Avid uh earlier this month announced that they were selling off all of their sort of consumer products to Corel and closing down a bunch of locations as well in addition to sort of selling off you know the products and the talent that goes with the products they're laying off a number of people um and really trying to refocus their business on the the high end of the market um and it kind of came as a shock to everyone i think this caught everyone off guard because um i don't think anyone realized that you know my uh, avid was in sort of rough shape like this um because this did feel like a bit of a fire sale deal Right. I mean, the strange thing is, so they, I mean, they're obviously, their financials are not great. We've known that for a while. But they sold it for less than they make in a year. Right. So this wasn't, they weren't losing money on these departments, I don't think, or these products. Um, and if they were, they must have been losing a lot because they... I don't know. I mean, maybe they were running at a net loss, but it doesn't seem that way from what I've read. Right. And so it mostly seems like trying to just, I mean, here, okay, so let's talk about a little more and then I'll give you my theory on why they did this. Because I came up with a doozy the other day talking with a friend. All right. Okay. Apparently, we don't have anything else to say. Oh, so the doozy I, 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 is. I didn't follow that. I mean, you know, just to be honest about Avid, because they are a public company, they are currently running a loss. Their earnings per share is uh, eighty-two cents negative, um, and you know, it's a company that's gone from a stock price of Ooh. around um, sixty dollars a share, sixty-five dollars a share in two thousand five, two thousand four, two thousand five. 
uh, down to $7 a share today. I mean, so they're obviously a company that has some structural issues that have been long term. Um, they, you know, they were beaten up very badly by Final Cut and right. by iMovie and by their own inability to under to really figure out what their story was and, and who, by Premiere yeah. and by even Sony Vega. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, they they were a company that didn't adapt quickly enough to the new reality of what software costs, but they also tried to push a low market with consumer products, but they never had a really clear story to tell about who those products were for and what the roadmap looked like for how you move and how you grow with the Avid product line. And they never did a great job of really exp- explaining how their their very confusing product line just fit into the modern world of production, I don't think, either. Right. I mean, they made a really... So they, the thing... So they had a really great brand. Everyone, everyone cut on Avid, or anyone you know making something that you wanted to be if you were a filmmaker. You know, all of your idols were cutting on Avid. Um, and when they tried to go down market, they weren't selling it as aspirational. They weren't selling the apps as, you know, brand aspirations because there was no connection to it. It wasn't like. You know, you can practice to become a real editor by using, you know, any of their consumer apps, their Pinnacle stuff or any of their... I mean, they, they, they tried a bunch of down-market stuff like the Express DV. Right, and they had and Free DV. Free and, DV. Yeah. And those, I mean, those at least you could argue, you know, were to teach people Avid so they could go in. You know, that was... That seemed to be their... Um, reaction to the fact that Final Cut was so cheap that everyone was learning it in school right. and everyone was leaving film school knowing more Final Cut than they knew Avid because you could either you know fight with all of the other kids in your graduating class to finish your senior thesis project in one of the four edit bays that the school could afford or you could just do it at home and then you could drink beer we well, did it even though you're 19 um, and so everyone just, you know, started doing stuff at home instead with their, you know, stolen copy of Final Cut. And so, you know, there just wasn't a great plan there. I don't know. I mean... Well, it's also just, you know, the Avid product line as as video production in general became more accessible because video technology became more accessible avid is not as consumer friendly as user friendly like i think you know even a diehard avid fanatic would admit that if you sit down in front of an avid and sit down in front of a final cut you're more likely to figure out how to use final cut by just sort of poking at things than you are to figure out how to use avid oh yeah i mean the avid timeline was user hostile right but at least when you started i mean the idea that you would click and things wouldn't happen was just Fubar, like <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so it. I mean that. Yeah, I definitely agree. They, you know, they got eaten by that. They got eaten by the fact that computers became a lot more powerful. Like they were really selling for a long time. They were really a hardware company. You know, they made a lot of money on SCSI drives, and their their you know media composer cards and all this other proprietary stuff you jammed to a computer to make it fast enough to do video. 
And it got to the point where none of that was true anymore. You just plug something in over Firewire. And I mean, that was really the death knell for them. When you didn't need a capture card or a render card or, you know, SCSI JBOT arrays. Yeah. So what's your theory about this whole sell-off? Um, I think if you were looking for... If you were a company shopping around to get into the video sphere, like say you make a lot of hardware, you're a really good hardware company, and you're making money hand over foot, and you've got a giant booth at all the trade shows, and your name is Black Magic, <laughs> and you wanted to buy an editor, you probably don't want to buy a graphics company or an audio hardware company or a, any of the other things. You just want to buy editing software. Avid, I, I mean, I may not be Blackmagic, but I think Avid was ditching everything but the brand in the sell-off so that the brand was a more affordable buy for someone else. Right. And that's certainly not uh, unreasonable. I mean, it's certainly a much more focused, attractive company to think of for acquisition now, whether it is yeah acquired by Adobe or by Blackmagic or by... You know anyone else looking to get in the game um i mean the thing is so the problem is adobe doesn't need them like avid doesn't offer anything other than a brand and their brand is not it's not ascendant um black magic i don't think actually is going to buy them because they're too adobe's just or avid's just too big like they don't need that many people to just ship a software product right and so I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting. I'm, I mean, I think they're paring down for sale, but I can't imagine who's going to be the one buying them. Yeah, I mean, you know, whether they are paring down for sale or, or whether it's just that they legitimately want to refocus the company, I think it makes a lot of sense because they've had this, you know, again, the, the, the first decade of the 21st century was a really interesting time in video. And Avid sort of reflects that because they went from this company that had one niche that they did really well and owned the entire market to a company that also does, you know, Pro Tools, that also does, did hardware, that did Newsroom, did, you know, not only do they have their iNews product, but they bought Pinnacle with their Deco product, plus all of the consumer stuff and, you know, all these other things. They've bought 3D plugins, they've all these different things because that's what you did in that decade is you sort of grew in all these different spaces um and they never were able to integrate those things or even have you know they were always one of these companies that felt like um oh you have a question about that well i need to forward you over to the guy who handles that product line there was never any sense that it was one company with with one product line it was right and even worse it was a company where they outsourced all their integration headaches to other people right and so they never even felt the pain of it because you if you were buying Avid equipment, you were buying it through someone removed from them whose job it was to figure out how that all fit together. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's a case where you got to give a lot of credit to a company like Blackmagic that's also done a fair number of these acquisitions, but it, it feel they're much better able to make it feel cohesive much more quickly. I mean, you know, it's not like overnight you can turn Terranex into just another office within Blackmagic, but I think they're proving that they're much more effective at doing that um, as you mm-hmm. see from year to year at NAB. You know, it used to be, you know, Avid not only like they would have separate sections of their booths for these different companies they'd bought, but 
Um, sometimes they'd even keep running the the boosts separately, and you know, it's like, why are you going to the trouble of buying these companies? What's the efficiency you're gaining if you're still operating them as a separate company? Right. Why not just invest in them? Right. Buy their stock <laughs> as the CEO, not as the company. Right. Yeah. No. It. Yeah. It. It was a strange conglomerate, and it's a little bit smaller and a little bit more focused. And we'll see if they if that's enough to get them to turn around, or if it, the idea really is to get out of the business. Yeah. Uh-huh. Speaking of acquisitions, I want to just you know pick your brain a little bit on on some news today, uh, which were two relatively major talent acquisitions in the Mac software community. One of Google buying Sparrow which was a iOS and Mac mail client and Facebook buying, uh, what are they called? Uh, a, a, acrylic, acrylic. Acrylic. Yeah. Uh, who made Mac and iOS apps, um, pulp and wallet. Um, and both of these are pretty clearly talent acquisitions. Um, in the case of, of, you know, Google, they're buying a mail program and they're having the people go work on Gmail. Uh, with Facebook, I'm not sure that it's as clear where within Facebook these uh, the people behind Acrylic will land, but um, you can see some crossover between the things they do and the things Facebook does. So, what I mean, what do you think about this? You're a, you're a similarly sized company doing Mac apps. Um, you know, how do you feel about this idea of a, a talent acquisition where you sell your company, you kill your products, and you go work for someone? I I don't I mean. I just don't get it. Um, like, I understand we're under the we're the one industry that's under like a uh, talent crunch right now, where you can't get enough good people. But so this, you know, the Sparrow one is the one I've read more about, and it sounds like from rumors that it's somewhere north of twenty million dollars, probably, um, for one person. Well, they do have a team, it says. They do. Yeah. I, huh. But, you know, we, we have a team, too. It's never clear how big that is, and they're very careful not to disclose, which makes me think it's a very small team. It's small, yeah. Um, I just, I don't I mean, you know, Jobs was big on this whole idea that, like, one rock star developer is worth more money than anything because they get more work done than an entire team can. But I just, I don't think that has anything to do with, I mean, part of that's the person, but part of it's the lack of a team. Right, right. <laughs> they get a shit ton done because they're not constantly going to dev meetings and talking about the app and stuff. And if Facebook is really going to be like, dude, we need an app to do this, you know, call us when it's done, then great. But I don't see, you know, I don't think they do that. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Sparrow, even though they've said that the Sparrow app itself won't be getting any more features, it is possible that in that case, at least, because of the way the acquisition's been done, Google's getting access to the app and the codes, it sounds like. And so they may be looking at actually you know, rebranding Sparrow as a native Gmail client for iOS, for example, and releasing that. And then it would make more sense, and then the value, the cost would make more sense. In the case of Acrylic... Although you can write... I mean, it's not a big app. No, but I mean, you know, it at least is somewhat reasonable. In the case of Acrylic, Facebook hasn't even acquired the apps. The apps are essentially orphaned. Um, they've just acquired the developer and or developers. Um, 
and and so in that case it really is just as i think marco said you know a hiring with a large signing bonus yeah and the thing that i don't get about these is so i don't i mean i can't speak for other people but i know that if i was hired and the people i know who've been bought you know been acquired by these large companies are you know like people who were bosses of people I know who were hired, were acquired by large companies. Like you go from being CEO to being like middling middle management. And it's like, it's soul crushing. Like these, all these people, no one started Mac, indie Mac development houses because they, they really like doing profit loss statements at home in Excel. They did it because they didn't like working for big companies. Right. And so you, you're basically paying a giant signing bonus to someone who most likely will stay through one or two rounds of vesting and then leave to start another company. Well, yeah, I think that's been what we've seen is that almost no one brought in through these acquisitions sticks around. Right, I, so what I, do, I, you, how do you actually get? I mean, maybe they're really, really committed for the, until their stock vests, but I don't think they are. Yeah. I would say, you know, the interesting exception has been, I think, you know because apple does a lot of these as well and they're always very quiet they don't put out a press release or anything it's just you know did anyone notice that this company doesn't have a website anymore and then you sort of hear through their their rumor mill that they've gone to work for for apple um and it seems like they've been better at retaining some of those people and it may just be because they keep it on the the dl and they you know that they may approach people differently or may they may wait to be approached or whatever um you know, and in some cases, like with with eMusic, they keep them running as separate teams. But in a lot of cases, I think they are buying smaller companies and bringing them in house. And I don't know. It just seems like a very expensive way to get talent. Yeah, but again, I mean, from the from the indie developer side of things, you know, I don't know if Acrylic. I don't know because Acrylic was a company I was sort of aware of, but it wasn't. I, I don't use either of their products. And so I don't know whether it was a sort of successful business in the, you know, it's a full-time job and it's growing and everything else since. I mean, they're beautiful apps and they seem well done and everything. I would hope that they were. But that doesn't guarantee you make money. Yeah. Right. And so it could be that, you know, they were looking for an out, in which case, great, you know, much better to sell your company and get a job out of it than to have to go sending out resumes. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and one of the things that I think I, you know, I remember I was surprised to learn when we were having a conversation with someone is that most of the, a lot of these deals in the valley happen by the company owner approaching the the buyer saying, "Do you want to buy me?" Right. Yeah, I was sort of amazed. I always thought people knocked on your door with checkbooks, but apparently it's often the other way around. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a little crazy, but I don't, I mean, I certainly don't, I mean, there's been a lot of like backlash against the Sparrow guys today. Um, and I don't understand that, like, you know, users who are upset or whatever, like, you know, if you're, everyone's going to this with eyes open and if this made sense to them, more power to you, like, you know, you started a company, you were really successful and now you see a way to do something even awesomer and make a ton of money out of it. Good for you. Like... Right, or take a three-year vacation, three-year paid vacation, right, and then start another. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just don't see who it actually benefits. 
right. other than the guy getting a check to not work for a while. Yeah. Not work as hard. But even that would be crazy making to me. I don't know. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see it. Right. Well, and I look at, you know, I mean, I think the other sort of poster child for this is um, Kevin Rose, who sold his company Milk to Google. And some of the developers struck out on their own, but most of the developers are at Google now. And initially they were in Plus, but, you know, Kevin's landed at Google Ventures or Google Foundation, whatever their, you know, their, their VC arm is. And it seems like that's a really good fit for him. And that's exactly in his wheelhouse and the kind of thing he wants to be doing. And so that's a case where, you know, he sold a software company, but ended up with a job that I think, you know, he couldn't have gotten into as an indie, you know, having a massive investment pool to manage. Um, But that I think works out really great. And so, you know, it is possible to land at a big company and find a job that's perfect for you, especially if you're coming in with a little bit of, uh, you know, political authority, political power. Right. So is this, I mean, so are we getting to the point where we agree with the idea of free iPhone apps as spec work for for getting hired places? I mean, is that is that what this is going to come to? I mean, is it the same way where you can't get a job in um, web development if you don't have a website? I think that's, I mean, there are worse ways to get a job, certainly. Like, you know, if I was telling someone who was interested in getting into this field, you know, you should, it can't hurt to have a Mac, an app in the Mac app store uh, or right. in, the, in the iPhone app store. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a prerequisite for getting hired at one of these companies, but it's certainly a prerequisite for getting a really awesome job at one of these companies, I think, to come yeah. in through this, this mechanism. Yeah. Um, you know. So I guess what we're saying is if you're going to bring us a check, you better be really big. Yeah. And we better not have to do anything. Right. But I, you know. Like work for you. Yeah. Or sell our app. Yeah. Or give you stock. But other than that, we're open to big checks. Yeah, absolutely. If you would just like to make a purchase in kind of. 100,000 copies of scope box yeah we could work that out we'll give you a discount even well yeah. no not for a hundred thousand right. but you know yeah. hundred thousand and fifteen <laughs> that's where our that's where our bulk pricing begins <laughs> um okay what else is on the list here so okay well let's let's talk about job posting since we're okay since we're doing that. so we um posted our first ever open job yesterday two days ago i guess um is when we started posting it but um it's an entry level position part-time um jack of all trades media assistant is what we're calling it for lack of a better term and the idea is you know entry-level position, someone in college or fresh out of college who wants to get into the field and can help us with things like editing this podcast and um, putting together tutorial videos for us and doing some tech support and some sales and just everything, just in the same way that we do everything. Um, And so, I one, I was sort of expecting to not get many qualified people 
and did not get many applications at all. And so when we posted, we originally posted to one of the art schools in San Francisco here. And it's sort of, you know, it was about what I expected. We got no applications in the first day. And so the next day I tweeted it out and then I was like, I broke down and spent the 75 bucks and posted it on Craigslist. And since then it's been bananas. We've gotten now, we are coming up on a hundred applications for the job um, in a day, less than a day. We're at 23 hours since being posted now. And these are, and, much to my surprise, not bots. No, and to my surprise, they're more qualified than I was expecting. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's obviously, so there's, there's some, some of this is like a, trage, a tragic comedy on the, on the economy right now um, because we've got people who've been like VPs of biz dev at companies applying, but that's a relatively small portion. A lot of them are exactly the sort of people I was expecting, people like com media majors, film studies majors, um, artists, things like that. But what's so, what surprised me is that is just how much the, the you know the consumerization of this industry has changed that first job application. Because I remember I remember moving to New York and being you know I had done I had done professional video in college. I had worked for the university. We had done large shoots. We had cut things together. We had you know. We'd done a fair amount of stuff, and I had done things on the side. I had run a little freelance thing and done industrials for people around town. And so I came to New York with, you know, a, a really shitty reel on VHS. And I remember dubbing it off and going to these interviews and handing them a VHS reel with, like, a you know, hand-printed label on the front and all that. And nowadays... The kids all have like these Vimeo channels with all this like rack focused DSLR footage and music scores and you know they've all done like industrials for wineries and for you know their parents home businesses and stuff it's insane right just like the level of quality that these people are leaving so one like accessibility you know like I went to the University of Minnesota for film studies, and we never touched a camera the whole time. I mean, granted, it was you know it was an academic program, not a Technical, production program, yeah. but but you know everything I did was either through work or through with my own equipment. But the kids nowadays, you know, they've got access to some really nice. They've got access to the same equipment we have. Right. Well, and the, the fact is, you don't need nice equipment to like nice in the sense that we used to. You don't need premium equipment, right? That's a good to way to have nice equipment, right? Yeah. I mean, this this gets into, um, and I'm going to use this term for the second time today, my wheelhouse a little bit, um, because one of the other things I do outside of of Divergent is I do some consulting um, for higher ed institutions, and one of the big things I'm always pushing um, is this concept of media literacy as something that should be a core part of undergraduate instruction and it's surprising because you see these students but the reality is that in in higher ed in general media literacy is not necessarily yet understood as this really 
key sort of skill for the 21st century. But I really, I genuinely think it is whether, you, you know, obviously the people applying for this job, a lot of them are coming out of programs that are at least somewhat media oriented or communications right. oriented. Yeah, they're all journalism, media, film studies. But the reality is even if you're a, you know, sociology major or a psych major or political science major, chances are you're going to get to your first job. And at some point you're going to be asked to, you know, either you know, put together a short video for YouTube or at least sort of understand, you know, look at a video that the organization's produced and understand, you know, whether it's good or bad and what the sort of digital storytelling behind it is saying and, you know, what, how people will interpret and everything else. I mean, in the way that we have writing intensive courses and we expect students in every discipline to be able to link together coherent sentences and paragraphs into a paper, um, in the 21st century, I think every student needs to have some of those skills. And that's, that's one of the things I'm really pushing. And I think, um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, we assume that students, one of the, one of the biggest things that higher ed struggles with, um, in the space of technology is that we assume that technology solves itself. Technology instruction solves itself because you assume that the students entering as freshmen in four years are going to be so much more informed than the students entering four years ago. And that's really not right. the case is that you, I mean, that the, as a, as a group, they may be moving up slowly, but you're still going to always have this large stratification between the people who are really interested in technology and the people who just aren't, and they have not right. chosen to engage it in high school. And, and, you know, and there's a different, and I think a lot of people mistake consumption for, um, I don't know, a different word, uh, competence. Right. You know, just because you're always on your computer or just because, just because you're always reading doesn't mean you know how to write well. And just because you're watching TV all the time doesn't mean you know how it's how the story is actually being told right um yeah but i was i mean i'm blown away by the quality of these applicants it's going to be very hard to to pick one we might have to hire two or three (laughs) and retire yeah exactly yeah um no it's i mean it's exciting and i think it's um you know you can take it as a critique on the state of the economy but i think the reality is that you know, no matter how good the economy is, you know, kids in college and kids just out of college are always, you know, itching for jobs. And so I think what our talent pool reflects is mostly just, you know, how, how good the kids coming out of college are these days. And, right. you know, that's and I mean, there's not, there's not a dearth of jobs in media ever. Right. Um, especially paid jobs. I mean, I, I mean, we could do, we could do what every television station does in New York and just offer this job for free. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, yeah, that's not what we want to do. Exactly. We've both been on the receiving end of, oh, do this for free. It'll be great for your reel. Yeah. Which I actually never did. No, me neither. And I refused to forward those on to my students when I had student employees because it was a daily occurrence. You know, I need someone yeah. to come shoot this for me. Can't pay, but it's going to be a great experience. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. And if you're if you're one of those go getters who is listening to this podcast because you uh, because you're researching the company, then uh, send me an email. Mike yeah. at DivergentMedia.com. 
and tell me you heard the podcast yeah absolutely um and compliment us on our witty rapport yes I didn't put that under job description. Sick of fancy. I think it's implied, isn't it? I mean, I guess. in in the Obama economy. Obama me. Yeah, that word. It doesn't. The mashup doesn't work. Obama me. That works well. Yeah, not so much. Has anyone tried obotomy? Um, obotomized. Yeah. Right. Come on. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to sell that one to Mitt. <laughs> Carl Rove. Yeah, just don't ask for a receipt. I hear he doesn't like. Uh... <laughs> okay, enough politics. Cameras. What else do we got? We got cameras. Uh, how many of these do we get? What are we gonna do? Uh, there's a couple cam. I mean, <sighs> there's always a couple cameras. Right. There, the, there's the Apertus, which is yet another <sighs> camera from people who think that the secret to good video is more pixels or some other form of magic. Um, much like the digital Bolex, these are some guys who bought a sensor and are turning it into a camera. Um, this will be of very little interest to most people and far too much interest to a handful of people. And I don't really care at all. Honestly, I just don't. What I loved about the whole story was people are excited because they announced this camera years ago, and it's not. It, no one was very excited anymore because it hasn't shipped yet, and the specs were too low. And so they announced new specs. They haven't announced anything to prove that they can ship cameras yet, but they announced better specs for the camera they're working on. And now it's a story again. Yeah. I just. I mean, I just think you know, all, all you have to do is look at how little interest there is in the manipulative antics of red versus five years ago seven years ago to see how far the world has moved on from just caring about this stuff yeah i mean i think when it comes like uh, you know there's there's this story among the people who are trying to kit themselves up at home you know, this isn't this isn't a story at TV stations or anything. But the people who are trying to buy their own kit to work on their indie projects have always like attributed these companies with malice. Like they're trying, they they can release these cameras, but they won't because they want me to buy their three hundred thousand dollar camera. And I just may, maybe that was true to some expect to some respect years ago but it's not anymore yeah i mean i think the the best thing red's done for the world is that they forced sony and everyone else to create products in the they kicked a tear out of the system right they you know the uh, cameras like the f950 that were multi hundred thousand dollar cameras things like that even from sony are now in the 40 to 60 to eighty thousand dollar range which is honestly about where red is that's what you know that's what's changed but for guys working at home people starting up at home like give me a reason not to buy the black magic camera if you've got a couple thousand dollars to spend right like what 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 reason can there possibly like even if there was conceivably a market for this kind of stuff six months ago 
there just isn't with the the black magic camera out there. But there wasn't before that. There, I don't think there was either. But I mean, you know, if you were for some reason, if the digital SLRs didn't make sense for you, and the sort of all the great large sensor options like the AF100 and the F3s and all those didn't make sense for you, whatever, you could sort of see why something more cinema oriented could at least see a niche. But the black magic sucked all the oxygen out of that, and it's going to be a really good product, and it's dirt cheap and it's supported by people with you know business cards yeah although i mean i don't know i also don't want to fetishize a camera that hasn't shipped yet well because that's the same problem i gather there are a few out there now someone this week was just starting to shoot with them so they may i don't know if they're actually in production shipping but they're at least handing them out to people now yeah and we do i mean we know people who've worked on it and they are not dumb and so i have some faith that it's going to be a good camera yeah um, but yeah, so there's that. The one that I did find interesting was the new Point Grey, and it's uh, so it's a 4K little um, industrial imaging camera sensor. So there, you know, there's this entire sphere of cameras out there, which our listeners probably don't know too much about. We've had to deal with them for some consulting work we've done in medical imaging, but. Um, the idea is they're just these. They're just a CCD attached to a backplane to get it into your computer somehow. That's all they do, um, and therefore, you know, the pick and place robots on assembly lines. Therefore, you know, the automated systems that check for defects in manufacturing. Therefore, endoscopy in surgery bays. Therefore, you know, all this stuff where the idea is just get pixels in so a computer can look at them. Um, and so Point Grey is one of the large um, players in that space. And they just announced a 4K head, which actually looks really nice. Um, what I was amazed is like, it ended up getting like consumer press as you know somehow being in this um you know this megapixel war with red right and it's just it's not a it's not a it's not a it's not an artistic camera no not at all but it is interesting because you know it's under a thousand bucks it's got they're using a sony sensor um you know which i I mean they always do like these companies don't make them well right 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 but I, i you know I think it's actually a pretty cool jump to get into 4K for this kind of pricing. It'll be really interesting to see what non-traditional users of this kind of unit can do with this. I mean, um, you know, if you were going to build a, I, I, I don't know, I, it'll it'll be interesting to see how it gets used. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think we're going to hear much about it after it ships. No, but I think we'll we'll see projects that use them whether we sort of are realizing it directly or not but you know computerized vision things or um you know interesting sort of 3d telepresence things or you know who knows yeah i don't know i mean there might be some of that i don't there's just not many you know most of these cameras are used for computer imaging and most computer programs are so cpu constrained right now that they're not running at full frame rate even. So like this will buy you more detail. And so for problems where speed is not as paramount as detail recognition. Right. 
Well, but think if you were building Google Street View cars. Uh, you know. Conceivably. I mean, why would they not just use 5Ds or something? Uh, I mean, I think that's what they do use. Yeah, I suppose. There's not an advantage to recording a stream versus... Right. Yeah. I don't know. You're, yeah. you're the one who linked it. I'm, I mean, I'm... I'm interested in it for like for our client, yeah. Um, and I was mostly, you know, interested in the weird media hyperbole. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's no, 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 that's all I have to say about it. You know, the only other thing I was going to throw out camera-wise was just, um, and this happened a few weeks ago, but uh, the official V2 firmware for the Canon 7D has been announced. I don't know if it's actually downloadable yet, but it is coming, which adds a bunch of cool features. But I think what's cool is that this is a camera that shipped like three years ago or something. Um, And I think it's really cool that, you know, features are still being added because historically the camera market has been one where once the camera leaves the door, that's the last sort of support it gets from its manufacturer. Um, And so the idea to get an official firmware update that actually enhances functionality and this isn't the first time it's happened but i think it's a it's a cool indicator of how that market's changed yeah um you want to wrap this up do some chatter and sure okay you want should i go first sure um so i just wanted to spend my time giving some shout outs to some uh people we know who are doing cool things on the internet's um, the first one is a new podcast. came out a couple weeks ago, and I tweeted about it, but I just wanted to give them, for the people who are podcast inclined um, and listen to us, another good one to throw on your iDevice would be, it's called Tech Move, and uh, they've done one so far, but they are friends. They have actually, there's a clip wrap um, conversation in the first episode. Check them out. Uh, the first one's really good. It's an interesting mix of, uh, it would be like if Colin and I weren't both giant nerds. Um, there's, you know, they've got, they've got a host basically. Um, the other guy is, is there to, uh, to stop the conversation and ask questions, which makes it really accessible. Um, so it's, it's a nice format. Um, especially if you're new to some of this stuff, it's a great way to hear the new stuff that's happening, but also get a little more uh, layman's context to it all. And then the second one is a uh, blog website. I'm not sure what to call it. Called Splicevine, which uh, our friend Eric does. Uh, we did a month. We did. They started something called Workflow Whisperers, which is this monthly, month-long sort of running conversation about a topic. And we did one last month about compression. I don't think we ever pimped it here on the show. So I wanted to do that. And then this month, um, Patrick Inhofer from Dow of Color is doing one all about color correction, and it's, it's great. So I would recommend both check out ours. Colin did some great writing for it and then check out Patrick's and uh, it sounds like there might be some interesting ones coming up too so check it out it's a good it's a good site and uh, you can win wine from them they'll give you wine I don't know sign up for the newsletter 
Yeah, absolutely. There, uh, it's just you know, it's great to see people who are creating original content that's not just news coverage and isn't just sort of click here then click there tutorials. So mm-hmm. um, that's really cool. Uh, my chatter this week, I just want to throw out an, um, something I watched on the spur of the moment um, the other day. The South Park Six Days to Air documentary, which I think must have been aired on Comedy Central because it's 42 minutes, so I'm assuming it aired somewhere on the TV, Um, but is available on Netflix. Um, I don't watch South Park. I've never really watched South Park, but it was an interesting piece because uh, South Park has a production model that is fairly unique in the world in that they go from no concept, no script or anything to air on an episode in six days. Yeah, they're incredibly topical, uh, and it, and it's a uh, it's a documentary about how that process works and how you know it's primarily focused on the creative side of things, but you get to see if you're watching carefully and maybe hit pause a few times how they're able to turn around an animated TV show in six days as well, which is pretty fascinating um, and and pretty impressive, and especially when you consider that they came from originally producing actual stop motion with you know construction Hard. paper cutouts. Um, to be able to, you know, go from that incredibly labor-intensive, time-intensive world and sort of bypass their traditional animation world, which is still very time- and labor-intensive into this sort of modern space, which is based on, you know, a lot of cleverly rigged um, 2D models and things. Uh, it's just, it's a cool a cool thing to check out. Again, um, there's a lot of South Parky type humor in it, and you just have to sort of bear through that. But uh um, it's a fun watch if you're looking to kill some time and you're, you know, whatever. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. So that's, uh, that does it. that's it for us this week, but we'll, um, I think we're both in town for a while, you know, both, both in our respective towns for a little bit here. So we'll keep on a schedule maybe. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you later. See ya.